Hi everyone, welcome back to Front Page Football's World Cup podcast. The name is Jeremy Magan, I'm your host for this uh, World Cup podcast of Front Page Football. And today to sort of review round one of this World Cup, I was joined by two Front Page Football writers, Antonis Pagonis and Dylan Bozicevic. We basically discussed what we thought was the biggest upset of the first round and, you know, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, of course, uh, was mentioned the most, but also the teams that are performed well, um, you know, Spain, England, uh, and, and we talked, obviously, a little bit about France-Australia and what to expect from Australia against Tunisia. When we recorded that game, we were watching Iran and Wales live, and it was towards the end of the game, so if you know the scores, obviously, you will hear us a little bit excited about what was going on on TV while we were doing this podcast. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the first podcast. That's the second episode of this uh, World Cup edition of the Front Page Football podcast um, don't hesitate to subscribe comment ask if you have any question anything that we should discuss uh, and hopefully you enjoy this chat between uh, Antonis Dylan and myself it's a bit of a, an hour of a, of a podcast and uh, we try to cover as much as possible and discuss you know where those teams are at uh, and we finished with a couple of bold predictions by Antonis Pagonis front page football's World Cup podcast episode 2 starts now <music> special guest, uh, Anthony Pagonis, who is another uh, really important member of the front page football team, South Australian and, and proud of being one, and an avid Arsenal supporter. And I think I know that uh, maybe the, the, the peak <laughs> of, Anthony's, uh, of Anthony's life so far has been uh, an encounter with the uh, the almighty Thierry Henry. Anthony, how are you, mate? I am brilliant. Not as good as I was when I met Thierry, but pretty good. <laughs> it's very hard to top that moment, isn't it? T -t tell us, like, I want you to introduce yourself to the listener as well, but but tell us how, how did that come about? How did you meet the, the great, the best of the best, probably, Thierry Henry? Yeah, oh, that is a bit of a story. But yeah, I am an Arsenal fan. I am a teacher as well as writing about football. And after graduating as a teacher here in South Australia in 2014, I actually went over and worked in High Wycombe, which is about 20 minutes with a train from London. I was working there, Arsenal fan. I was going to the Arsenal games, entered a competition with the sponsors on the sleeves, Visit Rwanda, um, put a picture up, used the hashtag, did that, entered the competition. They sent me a message, you've won the prize. You've won a signed Guernsey from the whole team, which is amazing. I go to the High Commission in London to pick it up. And the guy is speaking to me, oh, would you be interested in coming to a bit of an event later in the year if, if you're still here? I was like, yeah, sure. Ends up I was, and it's on the invite. Two Arsenal legends will be there. Well, they didn't say who. I'm thinking people like, Someone like Paul Merson, someone like Ray Parler, who are still involved a lot with the club. I show up on the day, I'm speaking to a few people over there, and then I turn around, I'm like, this looks like Thierry Henry in the wow. corner there. <laughs> and I'm like, is it, is it not? And I'm thinking, I'm at the Emirates Stadium, of course it's Thierry Henry. That's so, brilliant. Yeah, oh, it was going, just going after him, I'm like, you know, you can feel someone's aura when they're so important. 
and you go speak to him. I couldn't even breathe. And then I go and speak to the man that invited me. I'm like him, Thierry Henry's here. And he says, I know, we invited him. He's like, Tony Adams is coming soon as well. And I'm like, oh, no, wow. So a very, very, very memorable day. So that's a bit of a story to start off with. We, we, hear, we hear, I mean, us French, we think we know that, but Thierry Henry is actually a very humble guy and, and super approachable and happy to talk with anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he spoke to me, so I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> despite the, uh, despite the, you know, the apparent arrogance and the, the non-celebration of goals, etc., uh, only, I've only heard good things about him uh, outside of, you know, the, the, the football pitch. Uh, anyway, where, that, that's, a, that's a hell of a way to yeah. introduce yourself. T- tell us a bit more. Um, obviously, you write for Front Bench Football, and, and I understand that now you live in South Australia. Uh, you know, what's your relationship with, with football, basically? Mm-hmm. So I was born and raised in Greece and very heavily football and basketball in Greece. It's something to do very big. But in Greece, you know... It's a different education system. So I had a lot of post-school commitments with school, after school that we do in Greece. So it wasn't until here in Australia that I actually got to play football in a club, go watch football consistently on the weekends. And, you know, my first year here in Adelaide was the 2010-2011 Adelaide United season. And that one was when Marcos Flores was playing for United. We had Matthew Leckie. Very exciting time at the club. And I guess after that, you kind of stay engaged. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago, or until a year ago, maybe, that I started writing. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it since. That That's awesome. Uh, all right. You, you're here today, of course, on the World Cup podcast to, to, to talk about World Cup. And, and we finished the all the round ones of uh, of World Cup. The round two is live right now. The first game of round two, there's a, a Wales against Iran being played right now. And uh, and for anybody who's uh, who's listening to the podcast, we are uh, recording on, on Saturday night, Australian time, and it's Saturday lunch in Europe and Saturday morning in, in the USA. Uh, and uh, and Iran and Wales is still 0-0. I think it's the, what, the 78th minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, and to give anybody who is not watching an idea of what's going on, Wales has... 65% possession, twice as many passes as Iran, yet Wales has only five shots and two on target, and Iran 14 shots, four on target, and as we were mentioning <laughs> offline, they hit the post a couple of times as I well. I was going to so... say, they had that many shots in about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One opportunity they, they, they did all this. Uh, so yeah, it's an indecisive game, and a game that both teams would be well well advised to win, because uh, neither of them won their, their first game. Uh, of course, so like I said, World Cup, the first the first round is is done uh you know results like spain smashing costa rica uh, england faring well against iran um surprising of course um defeat from argentina another surprising defeat from uh, germany you know maybe not as surprising but it's still you know that draw between denmark and tunisia and that draw between morocco and croatia uh, and that draw between uruguay and south korea kind of showed the, the leveling of uh, of of the the level right at, at the world um, in that in that World Cup, even Portugal, Ghana, that three-two, Ghana fighting until the end. Uh, what's a, what's the result in that first round, um, Antonis? That kind of I don't know if it shocked you, but at least that marked you and that you you remember. Yeah, there's like you said, there's quite a few of them. Not just from a result standpoint, that wow, this team won, but like wow, they won by that much. But for me, I don't think I just can't get past 
Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. It's just mind-blowing. And same with them, same with Japan. I feel us here living in Australia, we understand their quality sides. But when you enter a match against the competition's favourites with arguably the best player in the world in their side, when you're absolutely non-existent in the first half and then you show up like that in the second half, it's just something we're going to remember forever, isn't it? Exactly. And, and a proper, I mean, a proper upset, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it looks like a steal uh, when you watch the game and, and when you look at the uh, at the figures afterwards as well. Two shots on target, two gold for, for Saudi Arabia. What, what else do you do? You want an Argentina that has two goals denied for by, by VAR for like a, milli, a millimeter and a half and, and a lot of chances? Uh, what, do, what do you put that on? Is that just it's a game and anything can happen into a game or? Or did you see some cracks in, in the Argentinian defense in that early second half? Or just, I mean, we know how good Saudi Arabia because they are because they play in, in the AFC mm-hmm. and they've played Australia a couple of times this, this year and last year. Uh, what do you put this, uh, I guess, this proper shock for, for Argentinians at least uh, to? It's, I think it's how the game plays out as well. You know, they get that penalty, that early gone, you feel, they would feel, okay, it's Saudi Arabia, we're going to take care of business. And then you have all those offsides. And I know they were trying to play that high line, but a lot of them were so marginal. And I guess that starts playing in your mind too, like how I'm going to time my run, and I'm going to make that pass, how I'm going to make that pass. It plays with your mind, even if you are some of the best players in the world. So I think those mind games, I guess, that start after the first few offsides start building up too. When it comes to um, Argentina's defense, I don't think Romero looks quite fit yet. I don't think he's played for like a month for Tottenham, who he's a very strong defender. But, you know, when you are not at your 100% and you're playing a side who's ready to go and are on a hot streak like we saw Saudi was in that second half, that those small percentages start to show. So I think for me, Argentina will still be up there, you'd think. But that makes that result even more impressive. You know that they came in against a side like that. Not only did they hold their own, but they went and said, you know what, we're going to win this match. That goal from Aldo Zari, I mean, obviously went all around the world, but that, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Obviously, he scored against Australia, the, the penalty kick early in, early in the season, the, the number 10 when, uh, you know, when you talk about Argentina, Saudi Arabia, and you say the star of the show is going to be the number 10 and captain, you don't think that you're talking about the, the green team. No, that's it. And that's the, that's the beauty of this World Cup, because when else would those two come up against each other, their teams? It's like they're on two completely different planets. But that's the beauty of it. It's not like something, and I love basketball, I love the NBA, but the NBA, it's so hard to force an upset. Because you get one result in a day, good luck doing that four times out of seven. But here, 90 minutes. And if you have a start like that, what we saw where you get in their heads with all those offsides, if you win the battle, the mental battle, you know, it's already half the battle. And then you hit them hard, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, yeah. the wrong number 10 may shine one day. In, indeed. I should have done my research. I didn't check, but I don't know if Saudi Arabia ever got out of group stage. Uh, I mean, the, the reaction to that win was uh, a national holiday the, the day after yes. in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. So obviously, uh, for people who had any doubt, it's a, it's a nation that's passionate about football, that is trying to, to build their league, that is trying to you know, spend, spend money, obviously. We know that there's a bit of money uh, down there uh, to, tr- to try and, and develop their football. And it is, uh, yeah, I think it's a game-changing result, of course, mm-hmm. for, uh, 
for for, for this nation. Um, can Argentina still still do it? You think? Yeah, and with the like, I'll just go back to the name. It's so important. I work at an Islamic school here in South Australia, and I've had kids that have lived in Saudi Arabia who do not even follow football and have come. They know I'm a football supporter saying, did you see what Saudi did against Argentina? And That's you can see they're interested in the next match and saying, oh, we're going to do this against Poland. We're not favorites, but who knows? So just to see them get interested, it's huge. And I can National only pride. imagine what's happening over there. It will be amazing. Um, uh, going back to your question, I do think Argentina can get out of the groups. They are a very strong side. Again, going to this tournament, I think many of us thought this is the strongest all-round they've been for a while. In previous tournaments, we thought, okay, the defense is a bit weak, the goalkeeper is a bit weak, but it feels like they are above competent in all these spots, which makes this result even more surprising. This could be maybe like a slap to reality, kind of like Spain had in 2010 against Switzerland in the first game. I still think they will go out the groups, but yeah, they really need to, I guess, get it a bit, more together if they are to make it out of the group and advance as far as we're predicting the tournament. Agreed on all this and, and joining us live while something uh, pretty uh, interesting is happening on the game uh, is uh, Dylan, Dylan Bozicevic, another uh, esteemed member of the front page football team. How are you, Dylan? I'm good. And you? How are you, Jeremy? Yeah, very good. Good Jeremy. to have you here. You're watching. Good to have you. Wells in Iran, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. Oh, I am. And uh, there's <laughs> a red card winter on a red card. <laughs> to paraphrase Chris Kamara, is I saw him walk off, but I didn't realize there was a red jet. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. the best. I, 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 I have a uh, I have a personal vendetta against Wayne Hennessy because uh, one of my favorite goalkeepers, obviously, because he's a legend in my club, Steve Mandanda. Went oh, to play in uh, in England, and the mm -hmm. the coach decided to prefer him, Wayne Hennessy. Although I think oh. if Mandanda had played a few How? games for that club, he probably would have uh, ended up in a bigger club. But uh, but yeah, uh, too bad for him. He's out, and and another real shot for uh, for Iran. Gilan, we we take you uh, halfway in. We were just discussing with uh, with Antonis the the game that marked us the most in that first round. Before I ask you the same question, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? For our, for our listeners, you, obviously your relationship to to football and uh, and what you do for front page football as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so <clears throat> obviously, just to start, I'm probably the youngest uh, editor <laughs> at front page, being 19. Oh, oh, 19. Okay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much a baby compared to to the rest of you guys, which aren't that much older, you know. But still, you know, so it's, uh, it's different. But um, yeah, so basically my background to football is I've been playing since I'm about five, since I was about five. So pretty much just found a passion for it and have always wanted to keep myself involved somehow. And what better way than to be talking about it nonstop? Honestly, and, like, and you're I enjoy in it so much. Yeah, based in Sydney, based in Sydney, yeah. Um, Yeah, at the moment, just been supporting Australia. I'm also, interesting fact, half Croatian, half Serbian. So, not... Oh, <laughs> not involved, involved everywhere. <laughs> yeah, not the best mix, but at least I got some teams to uh, to go for in the World Cup. <laughs> not that, everyone that, can disappoint that, you. Is that mom and dad that are, that are one and the other, or...? Yeah, so my mom's Croatian and my dad's Serbian. It's just 
fun fun dinner party <laughs> ever the two teams play against each other. Yeah. Oh, I've already said if the two teams play each other, it doesn't matter where it is and when I'm going to that game. <laughs> I, I don't know if it'll happen many times in my lifetime, so I, I've yeah, got to be good. there. You're gonna have yeah, the half well, half top and scarf. Yeah. Oh, I think I'll go <laughs> for Australia shirt on. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll just go for Australia shirt on. Ben, supposedly, football is not political. Supposedly, yeah. So. yeah. Oh. Who knows? Who knows yeah. when it happens? This World Cup showing supposedly that it's not. But um, <laughs> we won't get into that. We've, I've, I've discussed that in uh, in my podcast uh, in in the past, and if anybody is doubting it, you have uh, somebody of, of French descent, somebody of Greek descent, and someone who's, who's Serbian and Croatian descent discussing football, and they all live in Australia. And if you're wondering how Australian football is developing, just wonder who who's moved here and and who's doing the the work for the for the round ball game. Uh, anyway, Dylan, thanks for the uh, for the introduction. Uh, we were talking about the game that shocked us the most in in the shocked us the most, excuse me, in that yeah. first week of of World Cup in Qatar, and we kind of spoke at length about Argentina against Saudi Arabia. Uh, what, what's a game that that marked you? I mean, uh, maybe it's one of your one of your three countries, whether it's Croatia or Serbia <laughs> or Australia. Uh, otherwise, which game do you really remember from this first uh, what, what, sixteen games? Yeah, sixteen games we've had so far. Um, or Obviously, yeah, as you said, the Saudi Arabia game was a big shock, you know, just for Argentina to to just honestly shit themselves in that second half. It was incredible to see, like, it just looked like they had lost all energy and it showed, I thought that, I sh it showed how adaptable the Arabs were to, to the weather, the Saudis were to the weather, which has played a big part in the tournament. Um. I actually think another big shock is probably that guitar game. I got mm -hmm. up and I watched I watched that game um, just out of pure excitement, to be honest. But honestly, I think guitar shocked me in a way that I thought they were going to do a lot better than what they did. You yeah, right. You play at home. Nil? You play the first game. It's your World Cup. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, they, they did okay in in the Asian Cup. Uh, and, and then they, they they just struggle. What what do you put that to, Anthony? What what's your thinking about that that game, Ecuador against Qatar? And that's the thing, you know, they're the first um, host nation to lose their opening match, so it's one that usually really favors the host. And yeah, I don't. It, it's I feel like maybe they've had too much time to prepare because they've been together for a lot of months. So I think. When you're together for so long and it all builds up to that and how much attention has been on this one game, on this one tournament, on this one host nation, I just feel the lights might have been a little too bright for them. And then, you know, Valencia takes his chance. You're not playing well. It gets even worse. And then it starts snowballing from there, like we saw with Argentina with their offsides. It starts small and then it gets worse and worse and worse. I, th I, think, I think even they probably really thought their team... Was going to do a bit better, but uh, but sometimes there is such thing as the nerves and 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 individual mm -hmm. talent when you talk about a guy like Ener Valencia, who unfortunately uh, got injured. I was wondering earlier if if Saudi Arabia ever got out, and in 1994 they got out of of group stage and uh, and lost in round of 16. So it wouldn't be a first if they make it through through that game, but uh, but but it would be still uh, pretty pretty special. And you know, football is not politic, but if Saudi Arabia makes it out of the group in Qatar. Uh, mm -hmm. It'll be it'll be fun stories between uh, between being and be out and between uh, who, who wants to control European football these days with with all their uh, 
yeah, pretty full uh, bank checks. Uh, anyway, let, let, I have, I have you two, and we're all in uh, in the beautiful uh, country, island, continent of Australia. Let's talk about France, Australia. Uh, of course, disappointing result eventually for the Socceroo. Great result for for France. I won't I won't shy away from the happiness there. Uh, but Australia, a pretty a pretty special first 10-15 minutes. They look like they had figured out Les Bleus. They look like maybe. <clears throat> France was uh, was still asleep at, at the wheel uh, at the beginning, and and they made the best of it, Graham Arnold and and his mates, and then and then they just crashed. They just kind of stopped playing, or maybe France is too too strong, and and there's mistakes happening. Is that is was that definitely bound to happen anyway? Was there no scenario where Australia can hold it? There's not a lot of luck, of course. France shoot and score, not like Argentina and, and Germany. Uh, Dylan, what did you think of of that game? Yeah, look, as you said, I think I think it was going to come eventually at a time in that game where France were going to have, you know, we're just going to take lead of the game and take control. But I think after scoring that first goal, Australia kind of sat back a bit more, which is normal for, I guess, a, a smaller nation to do against such a big nation. Um, but I just thought it was the wrong approach. Uh, I thought there were some selections in the team. I remember we did a podcast um but just before the world cup talking about this first game and i already said that i wanted dang in that right back position i thought he just would have brought in a physical element and as well the pace element which mbappe realistically just was all over atkinson and look it's not it's not anything against atkinson because he's coming up against probably the best best player in his position in the world but i just thought he could have done some things a bit better to help his own game and impact the game in a way that would have helped Australia move forward and defend the lead that they had. And Donis, we have that injury early on, Lucas Hernandez coming out after after 13 minutes and replaced by Theo Hernandez. Did that make it even worse for Australia? You know, Dylan was talking about um, Atkinson struggling against Mbappe. Now, instead of having a, a defensive left back in front of him, he had one of the best wing back. Uh, in the world and had to defend against against two. Was that also a bit of a um, a bit of a sliding door moment for yeah. that game? It's when we record the podcast. Yeah, that's exactly what I call the sliding doors moment because you got Australia celebrating the first open goal, open play goal since 2014, and then you got Lucas on the ground. You know who's going to come on. You're like Nathaniel Atkinson isn't going to have a very comfortable day, is he? And you saw how awful it was for him how much he got tormented and i agree with dylan about the approach because you could see I think a lot of australians got upset when kanate said during the week oh we don't know who they are you may not know the actual players names but they knew how we were playing because every time they went to cross the ball they're crossing the same spot they cut it back why because they know that you're going to drop deep and if they drop deep the space is at the top of the box and that really got exposed that's one thing for me the other thing is if you know, you cannot treat Kylian Mbappe as another winger. You have to treat him as the best, one of the best wingers in the world, if not the best. You cannot realistically expect Nathaniel Atkinson to deal with him alone. It has to be a whole team approach. And I think, yes, Atkinson didn't have the greatest game, but I feel coach and team need some responsibility too. Because they kind of failed the kid, haven't they? You know, you need to make sure... Okay, this guy is going to come at you. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, can can I just add to that? 
I heard Arnold say after the game that they, he thought Atkinson actually played really well and that they knew already that Mbappe was going to be the main problem for their team. So they tried to, he said in his words that they went 3v1 with Irvine and um, Leckie dropping back. And I don't know if I was watching a different game or if Arnold was watching a different game, but I don't think I saw Mbappe have three players around him for even a second in in the game. And just one more thing, and we talked about, oh, you know that France is going to come at you. You know that they're probably going to score. And like you said, I did not like how we dropped our heads and we dropped our positions because you saw the two other AFC sides in Japan and Saudi Arabia cop sucker blows early against Germany, against Argentina. Very top quality sides as well. And what did they do? They just came back and started swinging because guess what? You're going to have this chance once every four years if you're lucky. Are you really going to leave with questions, which we have? They haven't. Is that, is that, is that also the, the demise of the Socceroos, maybe having scored within 10 minutes, having you know, shocked and, and probably awakened the, the French giant? You know, if, if they had considered in, in the early 10 minutes the Socceroos, maybe then we're seeing what we saw with Japan and Saudi Arabia, where they think you know, there's nothing else to lose. We might as well, we mm-hmm. might as well play. But when you score first, now again, you know, the, the famous nerves, uh, you, you mentioned it. It's been ages since there was an open goal in, in the World Cup. Uh, is, is that also what play against them? Mm-hmm. I think so. And watching the Socceroos the last few years, especially under Graham Arnold, you know, as a South Australian, Craig Goodwin scored and I lost my mind. I'm like, Craig Goodwin scored. My second thought was, this is way too early to score. Are we, <laughs> what are we going to do now? And, you know, we shouldn't be thinking this way. But unfortunately... I've been trained at least to think this way. What happened? Oh, oh my gosh. Live they... goal for Iran. The Asians. Oh, Incredible. Oh, scenes wow. at the stadium. Team AFC. Team AFC. I love it. I Carlos love it. Carlos <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Whoa. Let's see it. Sorry to interrupt you and Tonus, but no, I just thought right. I, I had to get in there. That's that's incredible. Oh, wow. Anyways, wow. I, that was my point. Anyways, you finished at a very good spot. Good part in the <laughs> run. Wow. There you go. Oh, look wow, at the look celebrations. At that. Oh, oh. Iran. Just a small game between Iran and the US on the on game three will be interesting. Oh, look at that. Oh, we need a repeat of the last time Iran played USA. That went all right mm-hmm. for them. It, it is not a political game, Anthony. No, this never. Is not, it's, it's this is not never. political. Wow, it, we, it really went in the incredible. Well, Iran is up for anybody who's <laughs> listening to the podcast later. Iran is up 1-0. And uh, yeah, I'm sure if you're at watching the highlights of the game itself, you see the, the craziness on the on the pitch and uh, and the sadness of the of the Welsh. I see Rodon, the Ren player, or or Bale, of course, uh, yeah, with, with, with their hand down in their knees, uh, which will be probably another of those uh, of those upset that we mentioned, because like we said before, mm-hmm. Antonis, there was definitely uh, a nice domination for, for the Welsh. Um, up until then, we were on France Australia. Let's talk a little bit about about France. Of course, they are um, sort of touted as one of the title contenders because they are every time they're going to have a generation like they have now. Uh, they have a few players injured. Um, he, he, those injuries: Pogba, Kanté, Benzema, now Lucas Hernandez. Do they make France an even better team? 
Oh, it depends how you look at it. I think, for example, with Lucas going down, which is very unfortunate, but I think with Tia, it's going to be, especially against sides like Australia, I think it's going to add another weapon. With, I keep saying this, and I'm going to go to my grave saying it, that Karim Benzema is an amazing striker, but for this French side, Olivier Giroud can do a job, and they love him, and he showed it before. And it just equaled Thierry Henry's record. So, my God, he's an all right backup. Um, and in the midfield, uh, that's the one that I'm a bit iffy about. They're both, uh, we had um, Rabio that oh played. My. And oh, what happened? Another one. 2 0. Oh, no. That's incredible. <laughs> going to go for a Wow, wow. That is incredible. Wow. Game changer. Well, we else maybe should I let Ukraine oh, go to no, the they've gone, they've gone too far. That's what New Zealand thought after Costa Rica the other day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you doing? Wow. Wow. Sorry, Anthony, so you were saying Giro, yeah, Giro's a legend. Yeah. The midfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the midfield's the only one that I'm like, okay, it's a bit young and it might be a bit of a baptism on fire with Rabio. I guess, playing in his first World Cup after rejecting being on the standby list last time. And Chouameni, who is very good against Australia. But again, this is a whole nother level of pressure. They were fantastic against Australia, but I reckon Denmark and non-Woods will be the real litmus test for that midfield to see where they stack up. But, you know, it's a very strong squad. And France probably makes it out the groups and probably wins the knockout game with the second or third string sides these days. Hopefully they, hopefully they do. That's a cute little uh, chipped ball by uh, by Ramin. Uh, what, Dylan, what did you think of uh, of France? Well, look, I thought I thought the game all in all was just it didn't really highlight how good France can be. I just thought the way Australia played just it allowed France to just have the ball and realistically with the quality that they have, especially out wide. I thought that was that was where you saw their quality out wide, um, and then obviously, as Antonio said, with Giroud, the way he plays in that in that team, it's set up perfectly for him. So I just thought, honestly, from the back four to even the midfield, there wasn't much to see from France. Really, there wasn't anything that stood out. Um, but that's just, as I said, not because of anything negative on the French team, but just more on how negative the Australian team are playing. And I think France just noticed, you know, we can attack them out wide. Right in the first minute, they had burned both fullbacks. And if you can do that in the first minute, you're like, all right, let's try this a few more times. And it obviously worked out for them. And you find something that works, you keep using it, I guess. And with Giroud up there, I feel the way he plays, it can bring the best out of those players around him because he's not the goal scorer, someone like Benzema is. But he's the facilitator that can play in someone like Mbappe, someone like Dembele, someone like Griezmann. He can get the best out of them. Well, as they say, he's the most underrated striker of the past 10 years. (laughs) So His top 10 goals highlight reel is definitely not underrated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I I would agree. I think he's he's also been on the wrong end of... uh, of a few beef in France. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that story about Benzema calling him a, a, a go-kart and calling himself a Formula One. Like somebody asked Karim Benzema in French 
uh, you know, who do you think is the best striker, you or or Giroud? And Benzema said, uh, you can't compare a Formula One with the go-karting. Um, so, and then, and then he kind of said, you know, it's what I think because I know how good I am, is what Benzema said. Uh, but I don't want to disrespect Giroud. It's just, it's just what I think and, and what our careers are. Uh, but I think Giroud, when, when this happened and when people at the Euro 2021 were so happy to see Benzema coming back, I think in his head, it was like, you know, I can, I'm going to show all those guys that um, I can work hard and I can be uh, the, the best striker that France has, has ever seen. And at least he's getting the record. Is he, is he the best ever? I don't know, but he's probably one of the most, uh, one of the most efficient. And, and like you, you do mention, when you got a guy like Giroud up front, um, you know, you're, you have to commit at least one defender always on him, maybe a second mm -hmm. to avoid where the second ball is going to go. And now when you have Mbappé and Dembélé on each side and a guy like Griezmann just behind, like where, where, where do you go except if you mm -hmm. defend with, with eight players? And I think like the history of the French national team is so volatile, so dramatic. It's huge to have like someone's table there. And you can see like he may not be someone that's the best player ever, but he's always there. He's always shows up. He's always good for a goal every other game. And it adds up after a while, doesn't it? Every, every time France had a very, very good striker, they did nothing. Jean-Pierre Papin, <laughs> Thierry Henry, I mean, Trezeguet, the Euro a little bit, but he was, he was still pretty young. Uh, and every time they didn't have a good striker, which is, I'm not saying that Giroud is a good yeah. striker, in but in 2018, he scored zero goal. Uh, they, then, then they can make it to the end. So I don't know. Maybe I wish, I wish he hadn't scored two goals so early because I want him to uh, keep going for the, for the rest of the, of the competition. The rest, the rest, no, we have to try hard. We can't rely on him. We Australia obviously is playing Tunisia on Saturday night, 9 p.m. Uh, Australian time, which is perfect prime time. We're not going to mention that France plays at 3 a.m. and I'm going to look like a zombie at work <laughs> on Sunday. Um, Australia, Tunisia, what are the chances for the soccer rule? Crucial game with, with the draw between Tunisia and Denmark. I feel like Australians looked at that game thinking, okay, if it comes, it's going to be this game, which I guess it is. But I hope we don't walk into that game thinking, all right, this will be the three points. Because if anyone wants the Denmark game, they're not just going to sit there and accept it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially with all this talk about how many fans Tunisia has. And from what I've heard, that probably one of the highest attendances with in regards to their fans and turning up and stuff like that. So um, I think it's going to be a totally different atmosphere that the Socceroos are yet to experience. Um, against an African side, a North African side, which, as all the African sides, are very physical teams. But I, I, I watched some of their highlights against Denmark, and you could still see that there was a bit of quality, especially in, that, in those forward areas. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, as we touched on, it's just going to depend on who Graham Arnold goes with. But I, in saying that, I will say that I do feel like this Australian team has enough players in there to know that look, it's not just an easy game. We are going to have to fight for it. But as I said, depending on the team he goes for, I think he can definitely get 11 players that are willing to fight for the for the badge. But there's it a just lot depends of, on him. It's how there's you a big Tunisian well. community in Qatar. Sorry, Anthony. There's a very, very large Tunisian community in, in Qatar, in France as well. Uh, so all my Tunisian friends are, are telling me, you know, when... Uh, when France and Tunisia are going to play against each other, don't worry, the stadium will uh, will be booing the the Marseillaise, and you'll hear what a, what a real atmosphere is. So we're we're looking forward to it as well. It's going to be a 
it's going to be problems at home. Uh, Anthony, what are the changes that you want Graham Arnold to do in his uh, in his starting eleven or, or in his squad when they face Tunisia? I'd like to see a proper defensive midfielder playing. Uh, Aaron Moy played in that position last time, and I still believe there's a spot for Aaron Moy in the side. But for sides that will press you and attack you, like we saw with France and what I'm expecting with Tunisia, you need like a guy there like a Cam Devlin for me that can run all day, that can make those passes, those challenges. He may not be the name and Aaron Moy is, but he can last the 90 minutes and he's that combative player that you know will break up that play. Then, if you play Aaron Moy, you can actually utilize him further up the pitch where his strengths lay these days. He's not the physical player he used to be, but ask Celtic supporters, he can still pick a pass out. So for me, I'd like to see Iron Moore playing higher up and a proper defensive mid in the sixth spot. I agree. I, we talked about this, Antonis, as well in the last poll that we did before the World Cup. And we actually we highlighted that sixth spot as, a, as an important role. And I think, as we said, that there needed to be a proper out-and-out six, which Aaron Moore is, but a proper out-and-out defensive-minded midfielder who was going to help Australia defensively. And I just, I think he had Bacchus and Devlin, which he could have gone for. And as we talked about, as we've said so many times already, he just made the wrong decision. And that's all it is. That's all it's been for this game. Just wrong decisions everywhere on the field. And you could see like the first 10, 15 minutes, Moore looked great. He looked fine. But then when France started lifting their game, you could see there was issues. Moy can play in that role for me these days still. But like we saw in the Peru game, in a game that is lower intensity, is going to have more time on the ball, where it's going to be a bit less congested in there. But when you have a side like France just running at you, you start seeing that he's not the physical presence he used to be. And I think that's somewhere where you, if you have like a Devlin, it can make a real difference. You know, it's not always about your name. It's about your qualities, what you can bring in the team in that moment. And I just feel like we just said, Moy would be much more useful further up the pitch and that would free up a spot for one of those just proper defensively minded midfielders to stay there and that would free up the rest of the players. There's a change almost 100% happening. As in Rustic should be, should be back, if not in the starting 11, at least get a, a, a proper shot at, at a few minutes. Um, Graham Arnold said he was 95% uh, re ready and and. The five percent doesn't matter is is what um, Graham Arnold said. Uh, obviously, he played a key role in in qualifying Australia for this this World Cup. If you have a guy like Rustic on, uh, and if you put Devlin instead of Moy, or you keep Moy and you have Devlin next to you, um, somebody like Rustic, I guess, is maybe even better than Moy at at finding the right pass. Uh, that, that means I'm assuming Riley Magri is going to be on the bench. But does that mean that you need somebody else than, than Mitch Duke up front? Or do you want to keep Duke for the set pieces? The way we're playing, it's it's probably going to be Duke. If you're going to play someone like Cummings or someone like Jamie McLaren, you're going to have to play to their strengths. And I think throughout the last year or two, we've shown we're not very good at doing that. I remember attending the Japan qualifier in Sydney last uh, not last year, but like six months ago or so. And we had Duke at the front and we just kept trying to pump long goal balls at him. Fantastic, whatever. Didn't work, but he tried. Then we sub on Jamie McLaren 
and Bruno Fornaroli, considerably smaller strikers that obviously long balls and win the header is not their game. But for about 20 minutes, that's what we insist on doing with them. If you're going to bring in someone like that and play the same way you play with Mitch Duke, you're better off just playing Mitch Duke. Yeah, you know? forget about it. Um, Aiden Krustic, though, very, very important because he's probably our most technical player now without Tom Rogic. So in a game like that, which is probably going to be tight, he might produce that one moment that gives you that win. So all these small percentages add up and we need everything we can get right now. Another change that sounds like it's going to happen, Adam Peacock is reporting that um, Nathaniel Atkinson is out with a knock from the France game. So right back should look quite different too. Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's confirmed uh, that it's probably going to be uh, that he's probably going to miss miss that game. Uh, Dylan, what's your thought on the on the forwards? Um, I thought obviously Craig Goodwin. I'm sure you'll love me saying this, Antonis, but. I thought it was obviously other than his goal, still probably one of our better plays in that game. Um, I just think he brings so much to the team. Obviously, his set pace deliveries is one thing, but I just think as a as a player, defensively and with the ball, he's just he's such a good player. Um, obviously, the striker role is a bit different. Mitch Duke, probably technically the worst out of the three that we have there, but. I think what he brings physically is to- is very different to the other two. And that's why Arnold's obviously picked him. But I do think for this Tunisia game, we need to go with someone more technical. I know that it's going to be a more physical game. But when those chances come and those moments come to be a bit more technical, we're going to need as many players in those forward areas as we can to be technical and to find the Find that, as you said, Antonis, that special moment that Hrustic can produce, that special moment that maybe McLaren or Cummins can produce at some stage in the match. And I think that's going to be really important to if we can get goals and if we can finish them as well. That's that's France, Australia and, and Australia, Tunisia. And hopefully the Socceroos can see off Tunisia and then uh, give themselves a little final against, against Denmark in uh in the third game. Let's talk a little bit about the rest of the games that were played. We mentioned Argentina's upset. There was another upset, Germany, who was not able to see off Japan. And very much like Argentina, they had the opportunities. They missed a couple of very easy ones. Uh, and eventually, the, the pace and the intensity of the Japanese was too much for the, uh, I don't want to call them old, but experienced defense of uh, of Germany, something that other teams like Belgium and Switzerland have been able to uh, to see off, of course, you know, um, we're all based in that region of the globe. So hooray for uh, for Asia. Did you see that coming, Anthonis? Was Germany on your uh, on your bingo, bingo card for one of the failures of the tournament? I wouldn't say it's, I guess there were, mine was there because in a group like that, Spain, Germany and Japan, many, I remember Jamie Carragher, I think, predicting that Japan was going to be last. And everyone in this part of the world said, what, really? Last? Um, I think we expected them to be a lot better than the rest of the world thought they were going to be. Not sure about going out of that group, but I did think that game was going to be closer than what people expected. Again, beating Germany, I wasn't sure about that. But, you know, props to them. Again, they fall behind, they get it done. A tactical change at halftime, going with the three at the back and exploring the wings worked 
very, very well for them. To <laughs> we had um, Takahiro Tamiyasu, Arsenal player, coming in the halftime, and we talked about legendary Arsenal forwards. We talked about Henri. We talked about Giroud. It was very good. Let's talk about Takuma Asano coming on and changing the game. That's an Arsenal forward to throw back on. This is this is crazy because there was a lot of controversy against like when Asano was called and the Japanese coach isn't like he's anything but loved uh, from, from even his own peers. And there's a lot of criticize or criticism sorry, about how he plays and uh, Hajime Moria, so his name, about how he plays and what he's proposing with the talent that he has um, for him. I'm, I'm sure a, a nice little win against Germany can, can change uh, the whole country's mindset. D Dylan, did you did you catch the game or maybe the highlights? Because it was the middle of the night for us here. Um, yeah. And were you surprised to see Japan, um, you know, performing so well? I caught the highlights of it. Um, yeah, I guess you could say I was a little surprised. But everyone, I just think, you know, for us that watch the Asian games and follow the Asian, Asian football, I think we just know how good Japan is, really. And I think for the rest of the world who don't get to see this, it's it was a shock, which, yeah, it was. But I thought that that Germany side was... it. Look, they had they definitely had their chances, but so did Japan. Mm -hmm. um, that was what I saw from the highlights. Obviously, you know, little three-minute highlight package can only show you so much. But, yeah, as I said, I don't think it was a surprise, really. I think at the moment there's so many Japanese players that are getting moves abroad. And that's it's it's helping them, and it, that's showing on the big stage. Mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna just say just quickly, both the guys that scored actually play in Germany, and yeah. one has scored against Manuel Neuer before. So it just shows you that these guys, you know, our striker is playing in the second division of Japan, our starting striker, and Japan's players are playing in Germany. You know, half the team playing in Germany. So it just shows you the level a country like Japan is at when compared to us right now so it was great to see them do that one thing i did notice watching the game is you know we, the germans are known for their efficiency but watching that game it's japan were the efficient ones you know the way they go forward they win the ball and they just go straight away it's actually very impressive they're a very well oiled machine and when they attack and when the defender do it with purpose like anyone that watches them you know the players or not you can tell okay this side has it together you, you I think that's yeah. Go ahead, oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think that for Japan, what's actually so good about them is just their culture and, env and environment. I think just from a cultural perspective, you never really—I don't think I've ever seen a a Japanese player with you know who's got a bit of an ego to them, which can be good in some instances. But I think when it comes to these these games in the World Cup. Having a team environment actually really helps. Mm -hmm. And I think, for instance, if we look at the, that golden generation for England, they were all egos. But now you look at this Japanese team that's together, that has, you know, has a base together. I think, you know, they could be a bit of a dark horse. You know, it's tough saying that now after the first game's gone and they've beaten Germany. It's a bit of hindsight. But look, I think, you know, they may have a chance to go far in this tournament. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you say that because during the game, the commentators mentioned that Takumi Minamino, who used to play for Liverpool, big name in Japan, was actually didn't start the game, nothing fitness-wise, but the coach actually didn't felt he was 
totally committed, I don't know where, in a training session or something. And you could see that even your, I guess, one of your star players, bad luck. You're not buying completely into what we're doing. Take a seat. He got it subbed on later, but, you know, the win wasn't in his name. And it shows exactly what you said, that it's team over individual, regardless of who that individual may be. He's, he's, he plays for Monaco right now, uh, Minamino. Monaco, there you go. Uh, and, he, and he's not doing much in Ligue 1 either. And he's not playing uh, in Ligue 1. You mentioned um, Anthony is great. I was going to talk about that. That the two players who scored, uh, so Ritsu Doan and Takuma Asano, playing in the Bundesliga, they're not the only ones in that squad. Uh, Kamada, Tanaka, Yoshida and Itakura, mm -hmm. the two defenders, um, they're all Bundesliga players. Um, of course, we know that uh, Maeda is in Celtic with, with Ange Postecoglou. Kuba, Kubo, excuse me, is at the Real Sociedad. Uh, Junior Ito, after doing really well in, uh, in Belgium, is, is playing in, in France right now. You just have the, uh, the old guard, Nagatomo, Sakai, and uh, that after their adventure in Europe are now back in Japan. Uh, one of them wearing the, the shirt that's just behind me there, the Urawa Reds. Uh, and Gonda, the, the goalkeeper. There is a lot of European experience in that squad. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's surprising that they are underrated because all those players are in the starting lineup of, of those clubs, um, whether it's in the Bundesliga or, or in France or, or in Italy, even before Yoshida used to be mm -hmm. uh, very important for, for Sampdoria. Uh, and I think I agree with what Dylan said. Um, it has to be a group to win. There's mm -hmm. nothing more important than building a group. Uh, you know, being French, Deschamps always said that what matters to him is the group, not the talent, and to make sure that the group work together and um you know there's the stereotype of saying that the japanese culture is the respect of the person in charge etc but i think for all that has been criticized um i think you know the, the japanese coach did that well they didn't pick you know mm -hmm. players uh, that maybe we expected to be played like kyogo um mm -hmm. but uh but the team that he that he picked kind of makes sense and uh yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what they do uh in the next couple of games of mm -hmm. course uh you know if costa rica might seem easy. Spain, Spain is another uh, is another mm -hmm. story. But uh, but yeah, I think the fact that they're underrated is a little bit uh, a little bit ignorant mm -hmm. when you see the amount of time that there's in there. And I just want to link that back to us quickly because we have our players that make a European move and it becomes headlines and this guy moves here for Japan right now. It's standard, you know. They it's might Tuesday. be underrated because you just expect it. Yeah, they're playing for the Bundesliga. It's just normal. And to be normal in a league like that is actually quite exceptional when compared to other countries. And like I said, with the example before, you said only their old guard is playing in Japan. Well, our, our starting strike is playing in the second division of that same country. It's just levels, isn't it? And that's why it's so important we get things like our own second division here to get more of these opportunities, to get more of that spotlight, to get our players that may not have that spotlight, the spotlight they deserve, and to make that normal eventually. And hopefully, we can be like them soon, because right now, we are light years away. Anthony's plugging in the uh, the issues in Australian football within the World Cup podcast. I was on the, uh, I was on the ABC uh, radio, the, the local one here in Canberra a couple of days ago, and the presenter asked me, uh, why do I think that football isn't as popular in Australia? As is in other part of the world, and I said, "Look, we don't have the time <laughs> Ask him, to go. We don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> we need a day. With the five minutes at the at the local radio is not going to be enough. We need a we need a week to to talk about this." <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on to to games that went well for a couple of nations. 
Uh, I just want us to to quickly talk about both Spain and England. Uh, you know, England scored six, considered two against Iran, who scored another two. Just before we said it, they, they beat uh, Wales 2-0. And, uh, and Spain, who beat Costa Rica 7-0, with uh, Luis Enrique, um, I guess, impersonating his best, Vincente del Bosque, and having a team playing uh, like the old Barca used to play. Which one of those two results you think is the, is the most convincing, Dylan? Oh, it's a tough one. I would have to say, well, after that Iran game I've just watched, I'm going to have to say the England game was the most convincing because I just think for them to beat such a, you know, for them to beat a team of Iran's quality, I think Costa Rica, obviously it's not expected for Spain to score seven goals, which there's always been that question mark on Spain scoring goals in the last Euros, in the last World Cup before this one. There's always been a question mark. But I just think for England, you know, they had also not such a tough group in the Euros, but, you know, it's still tough enough and they struggled in some of those games in the groups. So I felt that there was a lot of pressure on them to come out and, you know, get a result. And with the climate, with the climate, I think if that favoured Iran, I think it was a convincing result for England that they showed that they can be favourites to win this World Cup and that they have taken that step further to be a team, to be recognised to win the World Cup. What do you think about, about England and Tunis? Like, obviously, up front, Saka, Mount, Sterling, Kane starting, and then you can you can get Grealish in, Rashford in, Foden in, they didn't even use, uh, you know, somebody who's not a striker but could be much one, uh, Alexander-Arnold. It's it's talent everywhere in the front yeah. lines in England. And I think the question with them is you obviously got the firepower. It's how much how can you create those chances for them? And that was the question, I think, going to the Iran game. Um, is, are they gonna be frustrated? How's it gonna be because Iran's obviously well known for their stubbornness defensively. And just to put six past them is quite surreal. It's also quite surreal for Iran to score two goals to be honest, because the World Cups before that, I think in the three World Cups, they only had a handful goals from open play. And now they've scored four goals in two games. They're doing quite well. But yeah, just to put six past the side and a coach with that historical record of just defensive solidity, we saw, I think I was writing about the game and I, the last time Iran conceded more than two goals was in 2019. So it's not like they've got a habit of copying these margins. So it's very impressive because some people may say, oh, it's only this team, it's only that team. um, Argentina disagrees, Germany disagrees with that (laughs) right now. And also, you can only do beat what's in front of you. And if you put six goals against what's in front of you, you're ticking a lot of boxes. I think with that, with the, you know, the team, it's only this team, it's only that team. I think now that we're at the World Cup, it's, it, I don't even think that should come into play anymore, mm-hmm. really. I think every team ha- is there for a reason. They've made it past their respective, you know, continental qualifications and they're there for a reason to show how mm-hmm. quality they are. And that's where these teams are coming in. Mm-hmm. And can I say that's the beauty of the World Cup because exactly, yeah. we don't see Graham Arnold play against these subs we always play against. We know how they're going to set up. You're playing Tunisia tomorrow. Who knows how they're going to set up? You should know. You're the coach. But it's so interesting to say it's going to actually play out because it's something so foreign. When does Australia play Tunisia? When does Canada play Belgium, for God's sake? 
You know, it's just so interesting seeing this stuff play out. Canada was impressive against Belgium. Mm -hmm. Very impressive. I kind of tipped them to be uh, to be one of the surprises of the tournament. Of course, they're they're gearing out nicely for the World Cup that they're hosting with uh, mm -hmm. with Mexico and the United States of America in in four years, and they have a, a lot of young talent. Uh, is there another team that you guys have seen uh, in this in this early round? Of course, you know besides Saudi Arabia and and Japan, but that you know the the way they play kind of surprised you and and you might see them going a bit further than what we expected at the at the beginning dylan do you have a a team that that you thought was better than what they would you know don't don't say morocco but and anyone else <laughs> uh, um oh that's actually a very tough question i think look for me i'm saying this with my heart any of those asian teams that we've already talked mm -hmm. about the saudis japan even south korea you know like mm -hmm. i think any of those three? Oh, Dylan, Dylan left us. He just, he just didn't want to tell us which no, team was the, was the you surprise. You put him under pressure. Any Sorry. of those three might go yeah. somewhere. That's fine. We, 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 Stay tuned to find out. We, we, uh, yeah, exactly. Stay tuned in the next episode next week on the World Cup Football Podcast. And Anthony, uh, what, what's, uh, what's the team that when you saw them well, play, they impressed you? I will go ahead and start how Ian's, uh, how um, Dylan started. Hopefully, I don't drop out. I do think these Asian countries in Japan and Saudi should be should be, I guess, considered as menaces to be dealt with. And I don't think anyone's going to be taking them lightly anymore. But one side that yes, they may not have performed to what we expect them in the first game, but one I will still keep my eyes on is one of Dylan's three countries. Coming into the tournament, I really, really wanted to keep my eyes on Serbia. And the loss mm -hmm. to Brazil, to, okay, a very good side, probably the favourites, with the second absolute freak of a goal. Yeah, a goal. But I'd like to keep an eye on Serbia because they've got very good to exceptional players throughout the pitch at a good age as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they play the next couple of games because I think if they do make the knockout stages, they can produce some results. They can do some damage as some sides have found out in the past. Imagine that they do that without Vlahovic, without Mitrovic, who's, who's a bit of a blow for them to lose those two uh, mm -hmm. key players up front. Uh, but yeah, my issue mm -hmm. with Serbia is is Nemanja Radonic. He played for Marseille for a while, and uh, he's just uh, he's just such a useless winger. And whenever <laughs> I see him coming in, I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing? Nothing's going to doing? come <laughs> from that guy. How is he even an international? He doesn't even start." You know what? Uh, you know what's going to happen now? He's going to score the next game. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, he will. He's going to show me what's up. Interesting that you talk about Richardson's second goal, which is obviously amazing. I thought his first goal was exactly why. Brazil has a chance to win this year because they don't only have, you know, like Neymar and Vinicius uh, and, and players that are silky and technical and quick and that. They have two players in that team that I think can make the difference by their intensity, their, their, their grittiness, their rage even. Uh, and it's Richarlison and Paqueta for me that, you know, sure, technically mm -hmm. they're there, but they're also like, you know, almost aggressive players that you need in your squad that that first mm -hmm. goal you know the ball is saved by um um i can't remember his name the, the keeper from serbia uh, and then rich allison is is the fastest rebound it's not a pretty goal but it's a goal that a real striker yeah, scores. They all count for one <laughs> do you do you think brazil 
is is a real title contender after that that round one, or, or who do you uh, think is one of I them? I think you'd have to say now. I think for me going to the tournament, I thought Argentina was up there with Brazil, a very close second. But after that, you know, again it, with Serbia, even without those star forwards, they are still a very very solid side. So to go and put a couple past them and get the job done quite comfortably, to be honest. It's quite impressive. And you talk about those players like Richarlison and Paqueta. You've got, I'm an Arsenal fan, we've got Gabriel Jesus on the bench and mm -hmm. Gabriel Martinelli, who, when I talk about Arsenal, I say the exact same things you said about those other two guys about <laughs> them. Because they're absolute animals, really. They are exceptionally skilled and quality players, but they are two of the hardest workers out there. And they finish the games, every game limping because they've put a foot in everywhere throughout the 90 minutes. So to be able to not just have those players starting, but to have those players to come on to replace those other players, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's an embarrassment of riches. So as long as you can utilize them properly and keep them properly motivated, which I think Brazil sides always are for their nation, you know, you, not, you, won't, you won't tip many countries over them, put it that way. I, I agree with that. I'm going to put you on the spot, Antonis, with, uh, with, with two last questions, two, two predictions. I'd like you to tell me what you think the, the score of, of Denmark-Tunisia is going to be. And I also would like you to tell me who you think is, uh, is winning the World Cup. And if, you, uh, if, if either of those uh, questions, uh, you get the right answer, then I promise I won't ask you why your, your country of origin isn't in the World Cup this year. <laughs> What are, what are your predictions? As you said to the ABC presenter, we've only got five minutes. <laughs> um, which game was it? Australia-Tunisia mm -hmm. or France-Tunisia? Uh, Australia-Tunisia. What do you ah, think would be okay. the, the result? So Australia-Tunisia will be 2-1 Australia. <laughs> I, I, this is my heart talking. <laughs> Don't ask my head. <laughs> um, World Who's winning Cup. the World Cup? Oh, I tipped Argentina before the World Cup started and they had that loss. I'm not one to backtrack after a game. So <laughs> for now, I'll stick to them. Ask me next week, I might tell you something different. <laughs> well, you might not now, have a choice. They might be out. <laughs> yeah, for now, I'll remain with Argentina and I'm hoping this Saudi Arabia slap was the wake-up call they needed like Spain with Switzerland in 2010. And hopefully for that, for Saudi Arabia, it makes it even more a special occasion because they didn't just do it. They did it against the soon-to-be world champions. So fingers crossed for my prediction of Saudi Arabia. That, that would be special. Argentina is playing Mexico on uh, mm -hmm. Sunday morning here, Saturday night back in Qatar. And, uh, and Saudi Arabia will play Poland six hours before. <laughs> With... Um, Guillermo Ochoa in the Mexico goals. What a chance to make your already big legacy at the World Cup even bigger by getting Argentina out of this. So that would be big game uh, coming for him. That would be something special for uh, for Memo. Who already already saved the penalty in this yes. World Cup. Didn't didn't waste any time <laughs> against a pretty good player too. An, an, an all right player who's doing okay <laughs> wherever he is, and not only in the not only in the Bundesliga. Uh, Antonis, thank you so much for for spending this uh, this hour with me. Talking about football, talking about the the World Cup. Where do we where do we read? Where do we hear from you, Anthony? Mm -hmm. So front page football. Um, 
hopefully by the time this is out, we'll have an article coming up about if you like my little spiel about the issues in Australian football. Uh, <laughs> we'll have something coming out about the goal Australia scored from open play. The first open goal for eight years for the Socceroos in the World Cup. How both those guys were basically rejected so many times by their own system that their own grit let them go through it. And why we need a system that doesn't reject players like that, that allows them an opportunity. So that's coming out. But yeah, brown page football. Keep an eye out. Not just me. We've got many, many awesome writers on there and podcasters. Great to hear. Anthony, thank you. Uh, I'll let you enjoy the, the rest of the night and, and I look forward to having more chat with you during this, uh, this World Cup. Thanks, mate. Me too. Take care.